and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. You heard the big voice. I'm Mitch. He's Steve. We got Trevor Henry behind the glass today. Man, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just really bummed out after yesterday, Steve. Still trying to process it all. Yeah. And a lot of people were posting the, the very similar scenario when they played against Texas all those years ago. You're talking about uh, ASU? Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I will admit I was torn in that game because I have a buddies on the coaching staff for TCU. Oh, really? And of course I wanted ASU to do well, so I was kind of torn in that game. But you want your buddy to do well. Oh, oh, absolutely. So I kind of just I sat back a little bit and just let the game play out. <laughs> Your best case scenario was, all right, my buddy coaches really well and re- coaches really hard, comes up with a halftime adjustment that changes the game, but ASU still wins. That's like the best possible yeah, scenario. Yeah, man. I'll be okay with that. Well, he got the better of us. In case you don't know what we're talking about. Seven seconds. Miles with it. Six seconds. Five. Coles with four. Coles with three. Coles drives. The floater is good. With 1.5 seconds left, Collins fires from backcourt. He can't get it to fall. And Arizona State season has come to an end. And I really, really, really thought this story was going to be different, especially after DJ Horn hit that three. With seconds left in the game. But that's how it ended. 72-70 the final. TCU, a 6 seed, defeats Arizona State, an 11 seed in Denver last night. Yeah, what really stinks is ASU pretty much held, I don't want to say control, because it was never a dramatically. They got a, as high as 11 points lead. They came out of the half firing on all cylinders. And they had those emphatic dunks, too. Oh, man. Where you just uh, thought, oh, my gosh, there's no way they're losing this. They're taking that Nevada energy with them. Into this game. Frankie Collins had an in-your-face dunk that was well-defended that I've never seen from a college guard Never. Especially of his height. He's not... (laughs) Pulling off posters like that at that height are not easy. I guess what really stinks... I mean, so right out of the gate, ASU comes out. At one point, I think they're down like 13-2, to I think was the biggest lead. It was pretty rough to start. It was really rough to start. And then you blink, and it's... I think it was 16-16 or 17-17. They ended up tying, basically. And they pretty much held their own from there. TCU was not in control for the majority of this game. They held the lead very early and then not at all until the very end. I got to give credit to ASU. I was highly entertained by this game. ASU did pretty much everything better than TCU did. They shot, what was it, 48% from the floor. Bench looks Uh, great yesterday, too. 47% from three, is that right? Uh, they were incredible yesterday, way better statistically than TCU, who shot, I think, 35% from the floor and 35 from three, if I'm remembering right. They did everything right, except they didn't get to the free throw line as much as TCU. This was a better than their average this season ASU performance, right? The Nevada game was very much probably the highest level of performance we've seen at the Sun Devils this year. Probably, yeah. And then this game was far better than their average. Not as good as against Nevada, but it was very, very good against a solid Big 12 team. Oh, it's just... It's just heartbreak. And it's frustrating because now we're standing here, or sitting here, and we're wondering what's next. And we have to revert back to questions that were being asked... Weeks ago, when this team is sputtering against inferior competition in the conference, which seems to be an annual occurrence 
for the Sun Devils. And I don't like asking these questions. I I really don't. It's frustrating. I know. So this is what? Bobby Hurley's fourth trip to the tournament, if I'm remembering right? I believe so. So in in 18 was their first crack with the Guard U crew. And there's there's been a lot of jokes that it, they should just rename the first four the ASU Invitational because they seem to always get a trip to Dayton. But I, they haven't made it out of the round of 64 under Hurley. They've his, only been three, four times. This is his third tournament. They went in 18, 19, and 23. So three out of eight seasons. Statistically speaking, this is... His third best season in terms of win-loss percentage, if you want to look at it that way. See, because I think the problem is here, if we're going to have the conversation about Bobby Hurley and what the future looks like and all that, he gets the right players. I feel confident that he gets the right players for the caliber of program that ASU is. Think about the year we were excited about Marvin Bagley and Josh Christopher on the same team. Josh Christopher's a good one. Uh, Cherry was a good one. He's gotten a lot of the good players. Lugan I like, Stort turned out to be a really, really great player for this team. Stort was awesome. I, I like the team that they have now. The problem is a lot of them are going to graduate and go on, and you're not going to have a similar team looking next year, but that's okay. That happens in college. We all know this. I feel confident that Bobby Hurley gets the right guys for this program. Now, is it the same caliber of player that's going to Tucson and playing for U of A, who had their own uh, disaster in the tournament? <laughs> But I don't think that they're quite getting that player because I feel U of A, for some reason, and it still really just escapes me why people would rather play in Tucson for U of A than ASU. I get the program has been better, but when you look at it, like you could create your own great program at ASU. If you're a great player, yeah, you the, could go there and do that. Most people just go for historical reasons, right? Like Which why, I don't get. Why do people keep going to UConn, what? right? Why do people keep going to Duke? Why do people keep going to North Carolina? These all seem like small places to exist, and yet they go there because they have history there. A lot of those pedigree. I get. A lot of those I get. And I think, too, part of it, maybe this is part of the conversation as well. The Pac-12 has so much uncertainty right now where you don't even know if ASU is going to be in the Pac-12 in two or three years. You don't even know if there will be a Pac-12. They could go and leave for the... That's true, too. You could go and leave for the Big 12. Uh, They could end up forming some new conference. They could merge with another one. There's so much uncertainty around the Pac-12, and I feel like basketball is almost an East versus West sport as it is. East Coast teams do great. West Coast teams don't. I mean, look at the champions over the last 10 to 20 years. We'll just pick out one. Gonzaga. Have they ever won a national title? They've been dominant for the past decade plus. Have they won a national title? I'll save you the the research. The answer is no. They've not. They always get beat by some team on the East Coast. To your point, it always happens that way. So, I mean, if you want to put ASU in context, I think this is one of the best Bobby Hurley ASU teams that we've seen. It's right up there with the other tournament teams. That they had in 19 and 18. I think this is a really good team. So do you want to call it a successful season by ASU standards? Yeah, I do want to call it a successful season. Are any of us satisfied that they lost in the first round of the tournament? No, absolutely not. Of course not. You have to be better. You should be better. They should have won that game. They should have closed it out. And I think that really all it came down to was free throw differential. TCU is at the free throw line a lot. A lot. ASU had their chances too. They missed six free throws yesterday. Yeah. Those are free points, and they Didn't lost Didn't take by advantage. Two. Right. 
shoot 66%, 67% from the free throw line, that's not good enough. And I mean, you can make the same argument for TCU. They had more opportunities, but they missed seven free throw attempts. Like, the game was in the hands for both teams, in reality. It just ended the way it did. But a lot of love to DJ Horn, because DJ Horn played his ass off yesterday. And he was by far the best player on the floor for Arizona State. And they've needed him to be the best player on the floor for Arizona State, especially because Des Cambridge's shooting night was not that good. Four for 15. I know. He had a rough night. Shot 27% from the floor, 25% from, uh, sorry, 29% from three. He's that, his game yesterday was those moments where you look at him and you t- he takes a shot and you're like, oh, and then it goes in and you're like, oh. I said this last weekend. I, I don't know whether this came to be true or not, but I told uh, I was hosting the show last week with our friend Zach Larson, and I said this team, this ASU team, will go as far as Desmond Cambridge allows them to, because there's nights where he goes off for twenty to twenty-seven points, and then there's nights like last night where he ends up with ten and a four for fifteen shooting night, and that's okay sometimes because you have other good players who could pick you up, like a DJ Horn, Frankie Collins. I thought was. Really good. I know he only gets eight in the scoring category last night, but I thought he contributed big things at different times. Devin Cambridge was good. Uh, Warren Washington down low was awesome at times. It's just that they didn't have anything special that took them over the top at the end of the game. TCU did. And is that going to be a negative knock on Bobby Hurley or just circumstantial? Well, this is one of those ASU teams where I don't feel they have a superstar player. They don't have a Dort. They don't have a Cherry. They don't have... Josh Christopher, one of those next-level talents that you're expecting to go on to the NBA. But, guard, you didn't have that either in 2018 when they first made the tournament. It was kind of a roster constructed like this. It's almost like they do better as a team when they don't have that level of player. I would just wish that they would get someone bigger down low. Because there are times when you have to imagine that playing in the paint is going to win you some games. And I thought Warren Washington was a nice addition this year, getting him to transfer over from Nevada. But I don't think they used him nearly enough. Sometimes you win games in the paint. You don't lose games in the paint. Well, you talk about getting better down low. I mean, I would talk about from January 19th, the day that they lost to UCLA for the first time in conference play. From then on through the rest of the season, they only shot 40% if you include the tournament. Shot 32% from three. I would like to see some better shooting. Yeah. They were great in non-conference play in the first half of the season. Just kind of fell apart in conference play. It's just a recurring thing. Here's Bobby Hurley after the game. Just heartbroken for these guys giving me everything they had all year. Just uh, really uh, advanced Arizona State basketball and, uh, you know, played winning basketball all year. You know, played unselfishly, played resilient, battled and fought. And it would take, you know, the last shot, you know, to put us away. Um, So I'm uh, just extremely proud and have all the respect in the world for our effort tonight. And frankly, this team had a chance to just absolutely fall apart down the stretch, and I'll give them credit. They didn't. And I don't mean just in the one game. I mean in the final games of the Pac-12 season when they beat U of A but then lost back-to-back to USC and UCLA and had a chance to probably be a first-round upset in the conference tournament. They beat Oregon State. They handled USC. They gave Arizona a run for the money. It didn't end in their in their favor, but... I credit this ASU team for not giving up. They had a lot of fight in them down the way. That Nevada game really inspired me a little bit. I know it's a playing game. A lot of people don't consider it real tournament basketball because you can't call it a first-round win, technically. Uh, I was 
encouraged by what I saw in the tournament from ASU because they got to play two games. I was encouraged. I want to see more, although I know this team is going to look entirely different next year, but I'm still excited for ASU basketball's future. We'll talk more about ASU's basketball future in a minute, but coming up next, we need to talk about another team's more immediate future, mostly because we don't know what is the Arizona Cardinals' immediate future, but we'll try to answer that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Betting Arizona Sports. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Still trying to figure out what the future holds for the Arizona Cardinals. Looking at the transactions so far early in free agency, which is when usually the biggest names get signed. Really the only name of note, Cardinals signed linebacker Kaiser White. That's a guy who had over 100 tackles last year, but... I didn't think linebacker, especially middle linebacker, it appears, I didn't think that was a big need for the Arizona Cardinals. So why is there only free agent so far a middle linebacker? So the only assumption that I will make is that it's because their plan for Kaiser White is because of a plan that they have for somebody else. And what I mean by that is... They signed Kaiser White to do something. As a result, they're going to make somebody who's already on the Cardinals roster, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, they're going to put him somewhere else. And I'm talking about Isaiah Simmons. So where are you putting Isaiah Simmons? Edge. They're going to make him a pass rusher? Well, I'm certainly not going to make him a slot corner where he was burned in coverage several times last year. Certainly not going to make him a middle linebacker where he failed to hold on to the green dot for a majority of last season. I want to put him where he can make the most destructive plays for this defense. So the guy who, in college, became a first-round pick by playing safety, by playing corner, and we've noted he didn't do that well in the NFL, by playing linebacker, we are going to play him at the one position he didn't play in college? Does anybody else remember how the Hassan Reddick thing went? Is that anybody else? They moved Hassan Reddick from his primary position to a position where he shouldn't have been. Isaiah Simmons didn't have a primary position in college. He's also four years removed from college. Yeah, but of the ones he did play, which was a lot, the only one he didn't play was pass rusher. So we're just going to try it and see what it wor- see if it works? Respect. The best comp I can give, and maybe it's not the proper comp, but you look at Micah Parsons in Dallas. Middle linebacker at Penn State. Absolute game wrecker on the edge for Dallas in two seasons. Sometimes some players are just in a position because it fits better for that scheme where they were. I get the That's comparison. That's why you put Hassan Reddick in the middle, but it looks stupid Does in nobody hindsight. remember a couple of years ago when they drafted Isaiah Simmons? What were the things we talked about that made him so valuable as a linebacker? The fact that he could cover that he was a linebacker capable of covering tight ends over the middle, that he was capable of sliding to the outside and covering a receiver if he had to on a play. But look at how well that's worked out. And you can point at several different things. So because that didn't work out, we're going to try him as a pass rusher? But you can look at several different things, right? Is it schematic? Is it just the transition from college to NFL that didn't work as well for him? Is it there's infighting between the front office and the coaching staff as to what to properly do with this kid? Well, guess what? we got a new front office and a new coaching staff. Maybe they look at Isaiah Simmons and they say, huh, you were pretty darn successful in the bit parts that you had in this role last year. Maybe we should amplify you in that role and put you in that role. Yeah, I'm did. not saying it's the right decision. I'm saying it's the lean 
based off of this one free agent signing. He did have a few sacks last season. I don't remember his exact statistics, but I don't know, man. When one guy has played everything but pass rusher, my first inkling is not to make him a full-time pass rusher. Just because, and, and let's let's be honest, contextually, it's because you don't have anyone else. Well, that's the if other the problem. They're organizationally two, strapped. If they had two average pass rushers, they would never even consider moving Isaiah Simmons there. If that's what you're telling me sure. is happening right now. And you know what? We we don't know this yet. Maybe they draft their next edge rusher. There's a pretty they darn better. good edge rusher that's going to be available at number three overall. Well, that's true. I, I don't know, man. If we're talking about this Isaiah Simmons plan and the plan is to make him a full-time pass rusher, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'll admit, he's got the skill set. Like, he could probably pull it off. But, I mean, that takes a whole other body type. That takes I mean, a whole does other- it? Yeah. He can outman any right tackle for my money. I don't know. I have a hard time believing that that frame and that agility is going to be struggling to get into the backfield. Part of what made Isaiah Simmons the right pick at the time for the Arizona Cardinals, and I realize different regime, different GM, I get it, I get it, different head coach, defensive-oriented. Part of what made him so good for the Cardinals, or good of a choice, I guess, is that he had the athleticism, he had the speed, he had the ability to do things that other linebackers couldn't do. It wasn't strength. It wasn't pass rush ability. It feels like maybe... But how did his freshman year go? Feels or like not freshman. How did his rookie year go? It feels like maybe the Cardinals are just souring on Isaiah Simmons, not going to pick up the fifth-year option maybe. Uh, if we're going to just test this guy out for a year, let's just try something completely new. Let's just flip the script entirely and hope something comes of it. And if it doesn't, great, we let him walk. If it does work, then we try to get him back in free agency. What happens if he becomes a pass rusher and he's really, really good and leaves for another team for more money? And I guess at least you got one good year out of him as a pass rusher. But I hate playing this buyer's or seller's remorse game that we literally just played two years ago. The same year that Isaiah Simmons was drafted, I guess two seasons, three years ago. The same year that Isaiah Simmons was drafted was also the year they decided not to give Hassan Reddick the fifth-year option. And in reality... You could understand that then they were probably taking Isaiah Simmons to automatically replace us on Reddick. And then what happened? Chandler Jones gets hurt. And because you're strapped, you have to move your better players into different positions. And it wasn't until then that they moved Hassan Reddick to the edge. And then he ended the season with 12 sacks, including that five sack game against the Giants. What did that do? Got him a one year prove a deal in Carolina. They came back to Arizona and he sacked the quarterback twice in that revenge game, as he called it. Then he got paid the next offseason for the Eagles, where he was easily the best defender on the National Football Conference's best defense. I don't under, like, I don't like playing new, this game. Under the new head coach for the Arizona Cardinals, right. mind you. So I am I automatically just going to assume that Isaiah Simmons is going to suffer because he's in a position he's he's played seldom? No, I'm not saying he's going to suffer or even that he'll be a bad pass rusher. I just don't understand why we keep trying the same things in Arizona. I realize new regime, new head coach, new GM. I get it. Do you think they didn't make the Hassan Reddick mistake? Do you think that the one constant is playing a part in this when they reality should it? We know who the one constant is. The man that's paying paychecks. Michael Bidwell. I'm not I'm not going to assume that is. I don't think he has anything to do with this conversation. About positional fit. 
I think that that was a mistake made by Steve Keim. I think that he saw an uber-athletic and talented Hassan Reddick and tried to make him something he wasn't. But I think at the same time, we also were kind of assuming a lot last year based off of whether it's quotes from Keim or quotes from Kingsbury. We were assuming there was a lot of disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff. Hey, you drafted this tight end in the second round. He was the highest-ranked tight end in the draft. He played like three games last year. Okay, Even with an injured tight end for half of the season. So what what are the chances then with the addition of Kaiser White, who appears to be a true middle linebacker? We both view Zaven Collins as a true middle linebacker. What if the design here is that they wanted to have three talented linebackers? Okay. Off the line linebackers. White in the middle, Collins and Simmons on either side. Strong and weak. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, if they go three, one. if they go three, four, then I would imagine that you've got Collins strong inside and Kaiser weak inside. If they go four, three, maybe they just keep Zavin in the middle and they play Kaiser off the side. I don't know what the base defense looks like for Jonathan Gannon. I don't think he I, does have to look either. Back at the Eagles. Well, yeah, he's notoriously said I don't have a scheme, which we all know is is true to an extent. But sure. you have to have a base defense. You have right. to have something to call when. Stuff hits the fan, if you know what I mean. When 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 you have three seconds to formulate your defense, there's got to be a, a default setting. So I, I my question is, did they get Kaiser White with the anticipation that Isaiah Simmons is now a pass rusher? Or is it that, okay, he's probably still a linebacker in that core? Because remember, last year they went out and got Nick Vigil, who was... By all intents and purposes, supposed to be a backup middle linebacker. Also He's just felt like player. a replacement for Jordan Hicks. He did. Because they were worried that Zayvon Collins wasn't ready after they they triumphantly stated that he was going to be the starting middle linebacker day one. I just and don't get this approach. Happened. I mean, Kaiser White, good name, I guess, uh, at a position I didn't think they really needed. Will Hernandez, a guard who... Didn't play a ton last year, but he's back. Probably going to start, too. Kelvin Beecham, tackle, probably going to start again. Uh, Matt Prater, kicker, eh. Need those. Eh, I guess. Uh, although you probably could have filled that in another you way. You still need a kicker. That's really all they've done. What doesn't make sense to me is that on Newsmakers Week, a couple of weeks ago, Michael Bidwell sat right there in that chair that I'm looking at across the studio and said, we need to start focusing on different positions. We need to stop. Uh, looking at and paying certain positions that we currently are. We all know what those are. Wide receiver, linebacker, they paid a lot of money for those. Running back as well. We need to focus on other positions. Where's the cornerbacks? Where's the pass rushers? Where are the tackles? They got Beecham back. I'll give him that one. But, like, he made it a point to say we need to start focusing on other positions, and the first free agent you go out and sign is a middle linebacker? They're going the to, one position you drafted in the first round twice in a row? They're going to win or lose games in the trenches this year, and whether that is because of the offensive trench or because of the defensive trench, they've already started things off on the wrong foot, in my opinion. With I feel that way, too. Class. I don't know how they're going to fix it. Coming up next, are the Suns in danger of falling out of the playoffs? Is that an overreaction? We'll try and find out next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wagner, it's open. Van Carroll had it blocked by a Kogi. J.O. breaking out the eraser. Wow. That was a that was a dangerous play there. Dangerous play, but they certainly needed it. Kevin Ray, Eddie Johnson on the Bally Sports call. 
from Thursday. Suns beat the Magic by by only three, and if it wasn't for that Akogi block, would have been their fourth consecutive loss, and really good for them to get back in the win column. Welcome back to Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Varel, this is Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. Suns won't be back in action again until tomorrow. They have a 12-30 contest in Oklahoma City against the Thunder. And let's just start right there, Steve. This is a Suns team that is kind of not necessarily belly up right now, but they're a little battered and bruised, I would say. They're, they have been all year. They're obviously lacking their biggest contributor right now, I would I would argue. Durant. And they're running some of their better players into the ground with particularly Devin Booker with all of the minutes he's had to play over the recent stretch. Yeah, I mean, listen, this team hasn't been fully healthy all season. No. They've played, I think it was like a total of five or six games with all of their projected top five players in the lineup that night. That's Mm -hmm. before the Durant trade. That's after the Durant trade. They played three games with Durant in the fold. Even then, still not fully healthy for any of them. He goes with the the tweaked ankle in in warm-ups. We've been told they're going to reevaluate in three weeks. Three weeks from the injury. We're now, I don't know, we're like so we're T like minus a, a week and a half. A week and a half or whatever. Looking at the schedule, uh, three weeks from then puts you around that Friday, March 31st game against Denver in Phoenix. So let's say he's, let's say optimistically Durant's ready to come back around then mm-hmm. for that Oklahoma City game on April 2nd. That's probably best case scenario. Maybe Denver. Okay. So you still got, what, seven games left before you get to that? Yeah. And as a team, they've lost three of their last four. They beat Orlando by three, but they lost to Milwaukee. They lost to Sacramento. They lost to the former champs, Golden State Warriors. The Suns, it's funny, Dwayne Rankin wrote something in the Arizona Republic, uh, I think last week or maybe earlier this week, about how the Suns are in danger of dropping out of the playoff picture. Which, at the time, I read the headline and I thought, man, are you crazy? They're the four seed. It's, it's one of those reactionary about? headlines where if you don't look super far into it, you're thinking, oh, that's an absurd take. Yeah, but then but the problem is we looked deeper <laughs> into it. Of course. It, they're the four seed, yes. But they're a distant four seed behind the Grizzlies. They're four and a half back of them and the Kings. They're nine games back of the Nuggets. Nobody's trying to chase the Nuggets at this point. <laughs> but the parity in the West is what kind of makes things scary yeah. for the Suns over the next couple of weeks. You're only a game up on the Clippers. You're only two and a half up on the Mavericks, Warriors. The Timberwolves are within three and a half games. The Thunder, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Pelicans are all kind of in the picture. So while the Suns, I wouldn't say, are in grave danger of missing the playoffs, if you have seven games left without Durant, again, that's being optimistic. Yes. Seven games without Durant, and you play the way you've played in the last four without him, where you went th- uh, you went one and three, if you do that over the next seven, we're talking about maybe two wins out of seven. So let's say two and five. Now all of a sudden, a lot of those teams have a chance to jump you. The Clippers, the Mavericks, the Warriors who just beat you. The Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Lakers, the Jazz can all get back in the mix. I'm not saying that I'm worried about the Suns not making the playoffs. It's just you're looking at a drastically different playoff picture if you're the four seed or if you're in the play-in tournament. There's realistic possibility that it could happen. I would say the percentage is a lot lower than we're giving it credit for. However, it is a fair argument to have because the Suns are without their best player. They're running a little rampant. They just went on a three-game losing streak. Granted, that's three games in four days, so you're asking a lot of your players in that stretch. 
and because there's there's so much parity right now. I mean, you laid out how how close the Clippers are next to them, the Mavericks, Warriors, etc. And you know, some of these teams are going head to head with one another down the stretch, and everybody else is dealing with their own problems, except for like Sacramento. Sacramento seems to be cruising at this point. But the Suns aren't alone. So while we look at the Western Conference and we understand that there's parity there, it's not like the Suns are the only team dealing with similar problems. It's not like the Suns are going to just completely fall out of the picture like the Pelicans did months ago when they went from like the three seed all the way now they're the 12 seed. It's not even falling out that I'm worried about. It's right now as the four seed, you would play, what is it, the five seed? Yes, and you would play and you would the Clippers, be, and you would have home court advantage. You would get home court advantage, yes. If you fall to, let's just say, the 7 or 8 seed, which right now is only two and a half games back. If you fall two and a half games between now and the end of the season, which is plausible, you would be playing the Kings, and they would have home court advantage. You wouldn't. And they just beat you. You wouldn't know for a fact you'd be playing the Kings. You would have to win at least one game. Before the play-in that. game. They, I mean, it's an extra game. And however you want to look at it, you don't want to really mess around with the plan, especially the way some of these teams are playing right now. Last season, you and I talked so much about how the Suns were chasing a regular season record number of wins. They were trying to win as much as they possibly could at all costs. They did not rest players, and it came back to bite them in the playoffs. Right now, they're not healthy enough to be chasing any sort of records or anything. They're just trying to tread water. And by my estimation, you're trying to maintain home court advantage when you get to the playoffs. That's what I'm hoping for. But the problem is, I, as I just laid it out to you, if Durant comes back for the Oklahoma City game on April 2nd, and again, that's being conservative, that's being hopeful, that only gives you five regular season games to gel as a team. Maybe that's all you need. Maybe. I mean, they played three really great games with Durant. Beat Charlotte, beat Chicago, beat Dallas. Three wins. Yeah. And they were even expecting Durant to play against Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City was second night of a back-to-back. They were without their best two players. There's other factors involved in that. But I think there's still plenty of time. He was getting up shots yesterday or on Thursday at practice, right? So he's not away. He's going to the games. He's obviously rehabbing this ankle injury. James Jones was even quoted, uh, I believe, to AZ Central, was even quoted as saying, if this was the playoffs... He'd struggle, but he would play, which is obviously bringing down the severity of this injury. So that has to make you feel a little bit better. Yeah. And it it also makes me feel that when they do the reevaluation at the three-week mark, that it's more likely than not that he would play at that point. Not, we'll reevaluate and, oh, turns out we need two more weeks or whatever. I'm hopeful that when they reach that three-week mark, he's ready to go. And I think he will be. Because... What have we learned about Kevin Durant this season? This is the second most significant injury he's suffered this year. I mean, he said, you know, here and there or whatever. But what have we noticed about Kevin Durant when he just comes back from a significant injury? He looks like Kevin freaking Durant, right? He's always ready. Always. And he doesn't come back early. It didn't take him long to get up to a 30-point performance. And quite frankly, at this point in your career, you, it, he doesn't want to come back early. He's, what, 35 years old? He doesn't want to risk further injury. He doesn't want to come back and, and risk tweaking something. Now, I know that's kind of what happened three games into this stint with the Suns, but well, you can't it predict, was a freak warm-up injury. You can't predict taking a bad step on the layup lines. Right. Uh, it, yeah. 
By I'm the not, way, I, I'm just my point being is that five games, four games, three games left in the regular season, whatever. I'm not worried. I'm uh, not worried. By the way, you know how on uh, when you look at the schedule on ESPN.com and they show you like ticket prices as low as. Mm-hmm. I use that as like a baseline for how popular the game is going to be, right? So like Oklahoma City, they play tomorrow. Yes. thirty As low as $33. Okay, that's fine. But then they go up for like L.A., obviously, the, the Lakers, and Sacramento's big, and Philadelphia's big. I'm looking at that April 2nd game that I talked about with Oklahoma City as low as $21. If we get close to that time period and we have an inkling that Durant is going to be back, in time for that game, yeah, it's this, in Oklahoma City. So this is kind of where you Suns game. This is kind of where you hedge your bet, right? Like you assume that Durant's going to be ready to go, so you're going to bank on the low price now before it gets up to like a hundred to sit in the upper bowl. Well, and again, it's in Oklahoma City, so really, what you're looking at oh, is a I home. Oh, I that. My apologies. You're looking for a home game, right? You're looking at Denver March 31st. You're looking San at Anto- San Antonio April yeah. 4th. San Antonio game oh, 54. My. Jeez, maybe buy tickets is all I'm saying. Maybe. I don't know. I have tickets to uh, Philadelphia March 25th, but he won't be back by then. I'm going April 6th, same day as Diamondbacks' home opener. April 6th? Yeah, they play Denver. Baseball's home opener and you're not going? Well, I, Are you going to go to both? I will probably be there for work-related <laughs> reasons, too, because okay. Burns and Gamble will be down there. Nice. Yeah. Denver Baseball. Game. Oh, and you're a Denver back, guy. Maybe. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> How many times are they going to play Denver the rest of the way? they got two more games against Denver. Both of them here. And then, to your point, if they sit as a four seed and Denver sits as a one, that's a second round matchup. Those are incredibly important games. There's no doubt about that. Speaking of important games, uh, I didn't expect it to be as big as it's been, but the World Baseball Classic games. But now there's this conversation around, should we be playing the WBC or even spring training games with all these big injuries that are happening? What is going on? We'll dive into that next. Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Ma- Ferrell, this Steve Zinsmeister. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, Steve. I was going to step on you. Just not like a bug or anything, right? No. We're joking with um, we're joking with Trevor behind the glass. In between breaks, Steve and I have been exiting the auction community studios. Because they were doing work with the air conditioning. So in here, uh, I'm sure you can feel it in there too, Trev, but there is no air flow in this room. They shut off we all the broadcast. AC and decided, you know what? Let's not tell the guys who work in there on the weekend. Let's not tell them. That just shows that how sounds like a good idea. Shows how much they think about us. Yeah. Poor, poor Kevin McCabe doing the high school show just before us. He's coming out and he's, he's like, it smells like... Something I don't want to smell in here. And he said some other things that we can't necessarily say yeah, on Yeah, he came but. out and he's all lightheaded. I'm like, yeah. great, this is going to be fun. It's like, I got so excited to do this two-hour show, watch a great ASU game last night, and now I'm worried about the condition. But, anyway, you know, we're here. Our conditions are fine, as far as I can tell. I'm holding up um, so far. I hate to make a terrible transition off of not holding up, but in case you missed it, uh, a significant injury coming out of the World Baseball Classic, uh, Mets closer Edwin Diaz who just got extended this offseason, too, during the celebration when Team uh, Puerto Rico defeated Dominican Republic a couple nights ago. He ended up, was it tearing his patella? Yeah, he's going to be out the whole year. On the celebration, it wasn't even the pitch. It was just, they were celebrating, and next thing you know, he goes down, writhing in pain, had to be carried off the field. 
brutal scene. Yeah, Just his, his brother was crying and yeah, the yeah. whole nine. It's really terrible. And and listen, I love these international tournaments. Me too. I understand if you don't. If you're out there and you're like, I don't get it. I don't know why I would want to watch Mexico and Puerto Rico play each other last night. I don't have any investment in that. I, I get it. If you're not into it, you're not into it. Totally cool. But what I don't love is all these hot takes that are out there right now that I'm seeing. Oh, they're Especially hot. on they're social hot. media. That we shouldn't be playing the WBC because it's just exhibition games. It means nothing. But my favorite team's closer, the best closer in baseball, is going to miss the whole season because he decided to play in games that mean nothing. Oh, except for the fact that they mean everything to the players. Right. I was watching, I wish I knew where I f- saw this, but last night I was watching a video on TikTok. I don't post anything on TikTok, by the way. I don't even just have TikTok. I, I just have received the app videos. But I saw this video somebody did where they interviewed a bunch of WBC players. I think it was like five or six or seven players, something like that, right? And they asked them, would you rather play in the World Series or in the WBC championship game? And I, I think if I'm remembering right, all but one said WBC. Including... And this was pointed out to us by uh, somebody on our web team today, mm-hmm. including the Diamondbacks, Cattell Marte, said that he would rather be in the WBC Championship than in the World Series. Just goes to show how important these games are to them. What Maybe we... Okay. I think you and I agree it was, an, it was a gross reaction, for lack of a better adjective to use. To say that we shouldn't play the WBC? Yeah. It was yeah. a gross reaction to say that these are exhibition games and they don't matter. You know what else are exhibition games and don't really matter? Spring. The exhibition games that are happening right now in our own backyard. And guess what? Three Diamondbacks got injured in one of those games just a couple of days ago. Two of them are on their way to the 60-day injured list. Should we get rid of spring training? This happens every year in the NFL preseason. Somebody goes down. Oh, yeah. Usually like, players don't even play in the preseason anymore because of it usually at least one starting quarterback goes down in the preseason or in training camp tears an ACL or you know can't throw for a few weeks or whatever and then then there's always that one quarterback who's just sitting on the free agent market or just retired and everybody's going to call him and see if he's going to come play back Mm -hmm. come back to play listen the whole thing about you don't care about WBC games totally fine I don't care if you don't care that's fine you're entitled to your opinion even if it's dumb but here's the thing those games, that game that was won by Edwin Diaz right before he injured himself or, or it happened while he was celebrating with the team, that game mattered to him more than almost any other game that he's played in, I'm willing to bet, especially yep. since he plays for the Mets. Yep. No offense to the Mets. But just because it doesn't matter to you doesn't mean it doesn't matter, period. 100%. And I think it's important to look at baseball in a global context now. I understand that baseball was created in America. That it's an American sport. It's literally called America's pastime. Yep. No other sport has that going for them. But if you look at baseball right now, Americans in general, whether it's white guys, black guys from the United States, they're now becoming the minority in baseball because we have so many other countries that want to get involved that are sending their best athletes to the United States to play baseball. Look at this is a broad generalization. Here's your case in point. Who is the most popular player in baseball right now, in MLB baseball? Shohei Otani, Japanese-born player. Uh, Who has been on the cover of the last uh, couple of MLB The Show games? Shohei Otani. Before that, it was Fernando Tatis Jr. Before that, it was Javier Baez. This year, it's Jazz Chisholm. None of those players were born in the United States. None of them. 
Well, I don't know about Tatis. His dad, well, but his dad played for Montreal, so maybe he was born in Canada. Vlad Guerrero <laughs> Jr. was born in Canada, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes. But my point is, they're all foreign players. Baseball no longer belongs to Americans. No. It doesn't. It's the world's game. And I love to see it expanding. Me too. And so if this game matters so freaking much to the players, it matters to me too. And I'm not saying it has to matter to you, but to come out and all these people who are saying uh, we shouldn't play the WBC because all of the Mets players are going to get injured. That's not important in the grand scheme of things. And like I get it. Some players are going to have different opinions. I mean, one of the common threads is that after after the U.S. got walloped by Mexico the other night and the comment from manager Mark DeRosa was you were trying to massage these innings limits or these pitch limits and other ball clubs asking for things from our certain pitchers. Like, USA just had to send a pitcher back to their parent club today because he's not going to be able to pitch for them anymore. Like, I get it. It's going to take a major focus, but that doesn't mean it's meaningless. Max Scherzer saying, oh, well, I would appreciate if this big event was somewhere not at the beginning of the season when I'm trying to ramp up. Don't you think he would be pretty good for the U.S.? I we, think he would be pretty darn good for the U.S. We could have that conversation about whether or not the WBC needs to take place at a different time of the year or different places even. Well, it, it, I'm, I'm comfortable with having that conversation. Compared to hockey, National Hockey League, their season, when it's the Winter Olympics year, they take an entire month and a half off of the season. In the middle of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Because those players are not going to say no to an invitation to the Olympics. I could never, represent their country. I could never see the baseball players union going for that, though. Like if you wanted to take the month for of July, MLB, but you're not going to be stopping any of these other professional leagues across the world. Yeah. Like, you know, the other thing that's cool about the WBC. Sorry to cut you off. You're there. good. Go ahead. Uh, seeing all these players and the Diamondbacks are a good example Players who are either small role players, like an Alec Thomas or uh, Emmanuel Rivera, or it could be complete scrubs or guys who haven't made it to the players in yet. Name brand, yes. Dominic Fletcher is a prospect that you probably haven't seen or heard of yet for the Diamondbacks. I'm here to tell you he's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> these guys are playing significant roles on international play, uh, international teams in international competition. Yes, that's really cool. Alec Thomas has played a major role for Team Mexico. Dominic Fletcher is one of the best players on Team Italy. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Emmanuel Rivera was starting at third base the other night. He's been really good. I think that's really fun. And I, I get why some people aren't into it, because it doesn't carry the weight that the World Series does. But you need to start listening to some of your favorite team's players. It's just such a they narrow, love it. It's just such a narrow viewpoint to immediately just make it about one league. It's such a narrow viewpoint. It's a completely different entity we're talking about with World Baseball Classic. It's not exhibition. This is like the best version of baseball countries competing against one another we're going to get. Because the Olympics, they can't do it because all of the best players are playing Major League Baseball during me, the summer. Let me ask you a question. I feel like you're uniquely in a position to answer. You went to a couple of uh, WBC games while they were here. Three in a row. Three games. Uh, specifically, the biggest one was probably USA-Mexico, right? Sold out. Was that the most exciting game you've seen at Chase Field in your life? 100%. Then what are we talking about? I don't know if you saw my picture on my Twitter at Swinging a Mitch. I took a picture. I was standing in line just trying to get into the uh, team store just outside the home plate gate. Yeah. There is a sea of fans spread out along the concourse. Do you know at what point in the game I took that picture? If you had to guess, if you had never seen it before, do you want to guess? And I know you've seen it, but do you want to guess 
at what point in the game it was when I took said picture? I don't know, like an hour before. You want to guess, <laughs> Trev? Do you want to throw a guess in there? Perhaps I'm not even going to mess with it. It was 45 minutes before first pitch. I almost nailed that. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, dude, it's packed. It was insane. 45 minutes before first pitch, the gates open an hour and a half before, and the concourse is a. It's a school of fish. You want to know the three most packed nights I've ever seen at Chase Field? USA versus Mexico last week. Mm-hmm. Elton John, Billy Joel. That's weird. None you, of those are Diamondbacks zero games. Zero Diamondbacks games. There are no Diamondbacks games. I went to the the one that was great was the wild card game against the uh, Dodgers in 17. And I'm sure that was the a World great Series had its fair share of fans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't attend those. So, sure. That's not in my scope. But my point is, what are we talking about here? Don't play the WBC because my favorite player got injured. Come on. Get out of here with that. Coming up next. Ugh. That was tough last night. But what does it mean for the future of ASU's basketball program? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.